Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Diving Board Podcast. I am your host, Jill, and thank you so much for joining me on another pop culture deep dive here in the deep end. I am so excited to be back in the deep end with all of the divers. I've missed you all so, so much. Um, I want to apologize for the time that has elapsed between our most recent episode, which was the Olsen Twins episode, and this current episode. I wanted to get this out much, much sooner, but some unfortunate circumstances happened, which I will get into. But anyway, I uh, first, before I get going, I want to thank you all so much for everyone who listened to the Olsen Twins episode and all of the positive feedback you guys gave me. That was such a fun episode to make and I'm so happy it went over so well and everyone enjoyed it and it really really made me so happy so thank you all so so much for listening and of course giving me your feedback I really really appreciate it but like I said I wanted to get this episode out sooner but for one I've been so so busy because I've been working my side gig a lot because I've been trying to do some renovations in my condo so I need extra money so I've been bar attending a lot, my side gig. And I did that a lot of June and a lot of July. So I've been super exhausted. But those shifts did pay off because one shift, I was bartending one of the concerts here in Chicago and I was walking home and I saw a woman and her friend who looked very, very familiar from a distance. And I was like, wait, this this can't be who I think it is. But as they got closer, it's a blonde bombshell with some Daisy Dukes, flannel shirt tied around her waist, some cowboy boots. And I'm like, it can't be. But it was. It was none other than Miss Kristen Cavallari. I could have screamed. I was like, oh my gosh, you have to be kidding me. Kristen, what are you doing here? I was so, so excited. I kind of just glanced over and, and kept walking because she was having such a good time. She was with her friend. She looked really, really happy. She looked great. She looked gorgeous. She looks exactly like television. And we live for it. You know, we love Laguna Beach and the hills. And of course, Uncommon James jewelry. I have plenty of those gold hoops in my closet. So shout out to Kristen Cavallari. was so excited to see her. And like I said, she looks great and really happy and looked like she was having a really, really good time. So we love to see it. But seeing Kristen Cavallari walking on my streets on my way home was not on my 2023 bingo card, but I'm so happy it was. And honestly, since I've done diving board, my random celebrity sightings have increased so much. And I really think I'm manifesting it by doing this podcast and talking so much about celebrities because I feel like I see so many more celebrities randomly now, which I'm not complaining about. Obviously, I'm living for it. So that was fun. Uh, But also another unfortunate thing that unfortunately took up most of my July is I had a really weird stomach bug that I feel like was going around Chicago or something because like seven of my coworkers had it and a few of my friends had it and it really consumed most of my July. It was horrible. I'm happy to report I've made a full recovery, but it was about three weeks long where I was just living on a modium and a prayer. It was awful. And, you know, I would just go either to my nine to five or I would go bartend for a couple hours and then I would just come straight home and get into my bed and basically bed rot. And I did that for three weeks and it was just not great. Essentially, I was just in my bed for the entire month of July 
which is unfortunate because you lose one of the only good weather months we have in Chicago. And I would just basically stare at my phone and wait for Terry Joe to go live on TikTok. Um, if you're on the Terry Joe side of TikTok, you're we're very much on the same wavelength. So I really appreciate you. <laughs> but Terry Joe got me through. But it was a long haul. It was tough. Um, but I'm happy to say, like a phoenix from the ashes, I have risen and I am back in front of this microphone to give you another pop culture deep dive. And before we get into it, I kind of want to give the um, inspiration behind this pop culture deep dive, which of course, it's one of the biggest celebrity stories in the 2000s. So we would have discussed it anyway. But what the inspiration behind this episode was, it was back when I was in LA in May for that work trip that was literally one day. I was staying in Hollywood and this was peak Vanderpump rules. I mean, I know the dust has kind of settled on Vanderpump rules and it's kind of quote old news because celebrities move so quickly. So I know it's um, kind of tired at this point, but this was peak Vanderpump rules. This was May. This was the night of the finale. So I was a buzz. I felt like Hollywood was a buzz, but that could have just been the couple pump teenies I had indulged in, but um, I was living for it. So of course I needed to get content for the Diving Board Podcast Instagram, which if you're interested in my night in West Hollywood, definitely check out the Diving Board Podcast Instagram because I was taking all the pictures. I was at um, all the usual suspects, Sir, Pump, Before Clothes, Tom Tom, everything. But I really needed a picture of Schwartz and Sandys, you know, trigger warning. But I really needed a picture to kind of round out everything. But I wanted to spend that night in West Hollywood. So the morning uh, that I was going to leave, I still had some time And because of the time difference, I was up super, super early and I was looking up. I'm like, okay, where is Schwartz and Sandy's in proximity to where I am right now? And it was only 0.5 miles away from my hotel. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk over there right now. So it's like six o'clock in the morning, maybe 6.30. And I start walking out there and, you know, LA is not really a walking town. Everyone has a car there, but I'm from Chicago. I don't have a car. I walk everywhere. So I'm like, I'm going to walk. And it was so cute because every time I crossed the street, there was a crossing guard who would put up the stop sign and walk across uh, the crosswalk with me, which I am not used to. I, like I said, live in Chicago. I'm kind of used to having experience. Like remember that nineties game Frogger where you're just trying to get across the, the street without getting hit by a car. That's my experience every single day trying to cross the street in Chicago. It is every man for himself. So I wasn't used to a cross guard, so I was living for it. But that's beside the point. I was walking the half mile there and I hit Franklin Avenue and Schwartz and Sandy's is kind of in this like weird strip mall and this kind of random parking lots. And I was looking for it. And as I was looking for this strip mall, I didn't realize across the street there was this massive, massive compound. And it kind of looked sort of like the Chateau Marmont, just a massive kind of castle and huge towering palm trees. And I was like, what is this place? And I looked at the sign and right across the street, I'm talking right across the street and you can verify this on Google Street View, right across the street from Schwartz and Sandy's is the Hollywood Celebrity Scientology Center. And I was shook, like the Celebrity Scientology Center where all of the celebrity Scientologists frequent. 
This place is massive. And, you know, could you imagine not only going to Schwartz and Sandy's at 630 in the morning, but seeing the Celebrity Scientology Center on your morning walk? I was like, wait, what? It was very L.A. It was sort of an outer body experience. And I was just sitting there just thinking about all the stuff that's happened there and who is in that building right now. And then, you know, the wheels are always turning in my head. They seriously never stop. It's kind of exhausting. But... They immediately started turning and I'm like, why have we not talked about Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes yet? And that brings us to this very day. So that morning inspired this episode and I'm so, so excited to get into it. This story is so interesting and especially now as an adult that I can fully kind of grasp what this story is. It is fascinating. It has so many twists and turns and it is definitely a ride. So I'm so excited to get into this episode. Um, But before I take it, from the top. I just want to put a little bit of a disclaimer because we are talking about Scientologists. So I want to protect myself because they can be kind of scary. (laughs) Like I'll admit, I am a little bit afraid of them. So I want to say a lot of these stories or the majority of the stories I'm going to talk about in this episode are alleged. Of course, I believe them. We believe survivors here on the Diving Board Podcast, but I just want to say they are alleged. I don't have hardcore proof. These are people's accounts. They're very believable, especially of what we know about Scientology, but they are alleged. I want to get that out in the open because I feel like if I don't say that, I'm going to post this episode and then like an hour later, a white van's going to pull up. They're going to bust down the door of my apartment. And you know, I perpetually live in 2007, so I'm going to be excited because I'm just going to be thinking I'm on an episode of Room Raiders. And I'm going to be like, oh, great, I cleaned the apartment. Let's ready to go. I'm going to be running down with these people, smiling ear to ear, thinking this is my moment. They're going to throw me in the back of the van. And it turns out I'm getting abducted by the Scientologists. So <laughs> this is the way my mind works, you guys. <laughs> but <laughs> I probably would still figure out a way to podcast from the back of that van. It would just sound like uh, my earlier episodes where it sounds like I'm recording from the inside of a tin can. Um, but (laughs) that's the situation. So I have to say alleged, but I would love, I would love together to, to reboot Room Raiders if they're interested, not me and the Scientologists, me and the divers. Okay. (laughs) Me and you guys and not them, but yeah, let's figure that one out. But anyway, that's the situation. It's all alleged and let's take it from the top because this is a diving board podcast and that is what we do here. But I want to rev up. I actually filled up the time machine while I was doing um, all of that alleged business. And it's filled with a full tank of gas. And let's go for a ride. Let's go for a little cruisy cruise to a year, pun intended. Um, (laughs) um, We're going to go to a year that uh, we're very, very familiar with. And that, of course, is the year 2004. And we're also going to be traveling to a destination that we are very, very familiar with here on the Diving Board Podcast. And that, of course, is Hollywood, California. So uh, strap in, because we got a little bit of a ride. And uh, we're not stopping at Schwartz and Sandy's for lunch. Don't even ask. So anyway, we get to our destination. And I pull into the parking lots of that massive compound I was just talking about, and that is the Celebrity Scientology Center in Hollywood, California. 
And we start entering and we notice some pacing in the hallway. Some man is pacing the floor and we realize that it is 42-year-old worldwide movie star Tom Cruise. And he is very concerned, pacing back and forth, running his fingers nervously through that great head of hair, wringing his hands and wiping the sweat from his brow because he's concerned. And he's concerned because for the first time in over 20 years, he finds himself single. And since the mid-80s, Tom Cruise has either been married or he's been in a long-term committed relationship. This is the first time for a very long time that Tom does not have a woman in his life. In 1986, Tom Cruise was married to the actress Mimi Rogers, and they were actually married till 1990. And that same year in 1990, so he gets divorced from Mimi, he marries Nicole Kidman in 1990 as well. So 1990 was a a busy year for Tom, and Nicole is 22 years old at the time. They get married, and their marriage lasts until 2001. And that very same year, Tom wastes no time and he begins a years-long relationship with his Vanilla Sky co-star Penelope Cruz. So they were a really big celebrity couple at the time. I mean, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were a huge celebrity couple and then immediately transformed or transferred to Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz. So that relationship has just ended and that is kind of putting Tom in a tizzy. And it was actually his first wife, Mimi Rogers, who introduced Tom to the Church of Scientology. It's worth noting Mimi is no longer a member of the Church of Scientology, but Tom joined in 1987 and has really went full force in the Church of Scientology. He has climbed the ranks to being one of the highest ranking members in the entire religion. And Tom really credits Scientology for changing his life. He says, you know, he's become one of the highest grossing actors of all time. And he credits that to Scientology because he said beforehand he really used to suffer from dyslexia and that would make it very difficult to read scripts and memorize scripts. And of course, that's what you have to do when you're an actor. And he said that Scientology really, really helped his dyslexia. And in return, that helped him become a better actor and made him very, very successful. So he really feels like he owes a lot to Scientology and has devoted pretty much his entire life to it. Um, But even though Scientology has been such a, quote, benefit in Tom's life, it also is what broke up his current relationship with Penelope Cruz because Penelope was not willing to convert to Scientology, which is really, really important to Tom. He wants whoever he's with to be a member of the Church of Scientology. But Penelope, she's a Buddhist and she's not willing to give up her faith and join the church. She's not interested in joining Scientology by any means. And Penelope, she also didn't get along and she also did not care for David Miscavige. And if you're not familiar with Scientology, David Miscavige is the top dog in Scientology. He's just the top ranking member. And he's also very, very close with Tom Cruise. David actually, um, he's been in Scientology for decades and he actually worked alongside L. Ron Hubbard, who is the founder of Scientology. So very, he was kind of um, L. Ron Hubbard's right-hand man. So David Miscavige is very highly uh, regarded 
in um, the Church of Scientology. So David really was trying to get Penelope to convert, and he would be like, just take these courses, take these courses on your own time, and was really trying to get her into the church, but she just was not interested. And these courses are a big part of Scientology. It's one of those things where they will market it as take this $30 course or take this $50 course, which is at an attainable price point. But Scientology wants you to do so many of these courses. And that's how over time, if you're a Scientologist, how you end up spending thousands, hundreds of thousands, and oftentimes millions, depending on who you are, donated to the Church of Scientology. It's very easy to spend a ton of money with them. And that's how they have so much money. But it's said that David has a ton of influence over Tom. And he said, we need to get rid of Penelope because she just won't join the church. She won't budge. And it's also said that he talked Tom into divorcing Nicole Kidman because he talked to Tom and said, you know, I've noticed since you've gotten deep into your marriage with Nicole. And of course, Nicole and Tom had adopted two children during their marriage, uh, a son named Connor and a daughter named Isabella. And of course, when you have children, uh, your focus is on them. But David Miscavige said that Tom was straying during his marriage. He was straying from the church, that is, during his marriage. So he said, Nicole is not a good influence and we need to bring you back into the church. And Tom divorced her because of that influence. But Tom is taking the breakup with Penelope very hard because, like I said, he's not used to being single. He doesn't like it. So he expresses his concerns to David and he says, I I need to find a wife. And clearly, David, he's afraid of ever losing Tom from the church. Like Tom is their golden child. Tom is their crowning jewel. Tom is worth so much money. He's one of the highest grossing actors, one of the highest paid actors, and he has pledged to donate millions of dollars to the Church of Scientology. So they love him there. And he's also kind of a spokesperson for Scientology. Like think about when you think about the most famous Scientologists, Tom Cruise is the first thing that comes to your mind. Like if it was Family Feud and it was like we've surveyed 100 people, top five answers are on the board who is the most famous Scientologist, Tom Cruise would be the number one answer. And then maybe John Travolta or Leah Remini, Laura Prepon, they're all famous Scientologists, but Tom Cruise definitely ranks at the top. He's the most famous. He's the most well-regarded. So David Miscavige really, really wants to keep him in the church. David Miscavige has said alone, that if Tom Cruise wasn't Tom Cruise the actor, he would have made him Inspector General. And that is second in line in Scientology. So if we're talking about, um, you know, American government, David Miscavige would be the president and Tom Cruise would be the vice president. And he's a big deal in the Church of Scientology. So when he expresses his concerns, David makes it his mission, his mission impossible to find Tom Cruise a wife. And first he tells Tom, like, make a list, make a, make a list of the women you're interested in wooing. Who are you interested in? So the list included Jennifer Garner, Scarlett Johansson, and Sophia Vergara. 
And Tom was super into Sofia Vergara. And she wasn't really a big star at the time. Like, think about it. This is 2004. Modern Family hasn't premiered. So in the United States, not many people knew who Sofia Vergara was. She was famous in Latin America, but she was trying to move to the United States and become a more famous actress. And of course, when you're trying to increase your fame, dating one of the most popular movie stars in the entire world, that's a great way to go about it because pretty much your household name overnight because he's so famous. So she was kind of interested when he reached out and he was really, really into Sophia and he immediately tried to woo her. Tom likes to love them. He's sending her dozens of roses to her hotel. He's sending her chocolates. He's telling her how beautiful she is and just basically whispering sweet nothings into her ear via the telephone. Um, But Tom and David, they both know he needs to find a woman who's interested in being devoted to the Church of Scientology and being as devoted to the church as he is. Like, we're not dealing with another Penelope Cruz situation or another Nicole Kidman situation. Uh, We need to have a woman who's going to be devoted. So Tom starts planting the so the seed in Sophia's head and asks if she would be interested in maybe pursuing the church or thinking about it. And she shuts it down really fast. She's like, I'm a devout Catholic, so she's not interested. And it's also been said that she had told some of her friends that she was, quote, terrified of Scientology. So she drops Tom, Tom drops her, they cut it off at the at the bud and uh she dodges a huge huge bullet because tom is not interested anymore so since the list isn't panning out tom is getting increasingly more upset because he's like i've been so many years without a wife i've been several months single now i i don't want to do this anymore so he keeps expressing his concerns to david miscavige and other high-ranking members of scientology now so everyone's kind of freaking out because they're like we need to keep tom happy so we need to find this man a wife So David recruits his wife, Shelly Miscavige, to basically orchestrate this top secret mission, Operation Find Tom Cruise a Wife, Operation Arranged Marriage. Like he, they really need to find this man a woman. And uh, she knows this woman needs to be an actress because Tom is interested in actresses. That's his type. He's really never not dated an actress. And she also needs to know that this woman needs to already be a member of the church. Enough with trying to convert somebody. Like we, we need to just get somebody. The call needs to be coming from inside the house, essentially. So Shelly starts spinning through the Rolodex of eligible women in the Church of Scientology, and she begins calling in women who are actresses and part of the church, and she calls them and basically says, like, congratulations, you have been chosen for a prestigious project where you are going to have the chance to audition for one of the Scientology training videos. You should be so flattered, which it always makes me think of like the jobs. I remember I worked at a movie theater and I had to watch those training videos and everything. And like those scenarios were so crazy that they would act out. And I just can't imagine being like, you have chosen the most, we've given you the most prestigious opportunity to act in a training video. (laughs) Like So crazy, but you're getting a call from Shelly Miscavige directly. So, um, So she calls these women and essentially they're going on these fake auditions for the training videos. And while they're auditioning, 
Shelley Miscavige being the queen of subtlety, she kind of drops in the question, so what do you think about Tom Cruise? Which, like, could you imagine if you're, like, essentially on a job interview and someone asks you that? <laughs> like, it's like, okay, it's so random. But, I mean, like we said, this is um, mission, fine, Tom Cruise, a wife. So we're putting all our cards on the table. And they're really gauging these women's interests of Tom. And they're also getting videos of them, quote, auditioning, where they can essentially gauge if they're even suitable for him. And this is another mission that's not going that well. They they just don't like anybody. But eventually they do find a winner. And this was an Israeli actress, Nazanin Boniadi. And she was 25 years old at the time. She's been a Scientologist since she was a kid. So check. She's an actress. Check. And the team immediately kind of starts getting her in order, ready to date Tom, But they need to make her over a little bit because they say she has long, dark hair, which obviously Tom is into. He had just dated Penelope Cruz, but she has red highlights in it. And they're like, no, you need to get rid of those. Dye your hair. And she's also wearing braces. And they say, well, how many more months do you have left of your braces? She's like, I have six more months. They're like, we can't wait that long. Take the braces off. So she actually gets her braces removed. And while they're making this physical transformation, they also want to make sure that she's right for Tom. So they have her write a 20-page essay, single-spaced, about what she wants in life in terms of a partner and a family and what her hopes and dreams are. I mean, if I had to write from now being 31 years old to like the rest of my life of what I want in life, like... Maybe I could crank out three pages, possibly maybe four or five, but I I don't know. I mean, I have like some core things that I want to happen in life, but the rest, I would rather just see where the night takes me. Like, do we really need to say like every year by year what we want? Could you fill up 20 pages of that? I feel like it would be like, you know, in school when you're trying to meet the word count. So you're deleting don't and you're putting do not just so you could get an extra word, (laughs) like 20 pages. So she figures it out. She, She writes it up. And this paper has to be submitted and approved by the higher ups. I wonder if they submitted it to turnitin.com to see if it was plagiarized because I certainly would need some help. But um, it's, they submit it to the um, higher ups. And if it's approved, she would then sign a confidentiality agreement to get to start dating Tom. So I guess they read the paper and they like it. They're into it. So it works out and Tom is immediately smitten with her. Like I said, Tom likes to love bomb. Tom gets full force and he doesn't waste any time when he's into a woman. So he asks her, what is your ideal date? And she says, well, I'd like to go for a sushi dinner and then I'd like to go ice skating. He goes, perfect. Let's get on my private plane. We'll fly to New York City. We'll go ice skating. We'll go to the best sushi restaurant in the city and you'll just have the best time of your life. And she does. He's wooing her. He's buying her everything. He's so affectionate. Tom's very, very affectionate. He's That's kind of his love language. He wants kind of that physical touch. And he is very into PDA and he's already complaining to Nazanin, you're not giving me enough affection. He actually says to her, I've actually gotten more affection than extras in movies than you're giving me right now. So that's the first strike. He doesn't like that she's not as affectionate as he is. And things 
quickly soon uh, unravel within a couple of months because Tom immediately does not like something that Nazanin says when Tom is accepting a award in Scientology. And as a congratulations, Nazanin says to Tom, very well done. And these three words, what was that Josie and the Pussycats? Three small words. These were three big words to Tom Cruise because he, it set him off so bad that she said very well done to him because it basically Tom Cruise didn't like, it's like, why, why should I need your congratulations? Why should I need your acceptance? Why very well done? Why would you tell me that? And it's just kind of like, what? Like this, this man is so controlling all five foot six of them (laughs) telling you in your face, you're not supposed to be saying very well done. And all five foot four of David Miscavige is also upset because (laughs) I guess David Miscavige talks very quickly, talks very, very fast, which I could relate to. And Nazanin, she's not a native English speaker, so he talks very fast and she can't always understand what he's saying. So there's sometimes when she can't understand, she'll go, excuse me, excuse me. And he does not like that. David does not like the fact that he's having him like having to repeat himself. So soon by the end of 2004, they're like, we're done. And Nazanin is actually living with Tom at this time, but he has such a big house. They're not like on top of each other, but she's living in his house. But Tom's over it. He's like, this isn't going to work out. So he actually has a third party break up with Nazanin. And she said when she was moving out, she actually saw Tom in his home gym and he didn't even look at her. Um, But Tom does leave her with a parting gift. He does pay for some counseling for her to go to the headquarters in Clearwater, Florida, the, the Scientology headquarters in Clearwater, Florida. And he's he's going to pay for the counseling for Nazanin to, quote, work through her transgressions. So that kind of gives you a look inside the process of finding Tom Cruise a wife during 2004. And it also showcases how controlling he was and what a woman had to adhere to in the marriage. But luckily, Nazanin got out. I feel so bad for her. I couldn't imagine how traumatizing that whole thing had to have been. Um, But even though this plan was foiled, Tom got another lead. So he was okay because in the late 2004, there's an article that's published in Seventeen Magazine, an interview with Katie Holmes. Can you imagine like Tom Cruise is keeping a pulse on Seventeen Magazine? It's like so crazy. But there's an article, um, an interview with Katie Holmes because she's currently engaged to Chris Klein. Do you remember Chris Klein? Whatever happened to Chris Klein? Oh my God, he was so cute. He's also in one of my favorite movies ever, Election, with Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick. I love that movie. I love Chris Klein. He didn't have his due, I feel like. Whatever happened to him? Um, But she's engaged. They're like the cutest couple ever. And she's engaged to Chris Klein. I totally forgot about this. And she's quoted in 17, kind of talking about her upcoming wedding to him. And she goes, I think every young girl fantasizes about their wedding when they're a kid and she goes I used to think I was going to get married to Tom Cruise talk about manifestation I mean I don't know if it's a good thing but that girl put it out into the universe she put it into 17 magazine and when Tom read that 
That got Katie on his radar. He was into it. He began taking notice of her. And Katie, I mean, she's a well-known actress, but she's still a rising star because she's pretty popular amongst the teens because obviously she played Joey Potter in Dawson's Creek, one of my favorite shows ever. I've seen every episode multiple times. James Vanderpeek was definitely an awakening for me. Like, I remember seeing him. We used to have this huge box TV that probably weighed like 100 pounds in our house. And I remember when he came on, the room was dark and I saw him and I just like had never felt such attraction to someone in my entire life. I still, it's a core memory for me. Like I was in love with him. But then as I rewatched Dawson's Creek as an adult, I became a Pacey Witter girl. Like I love Joshua Jackson. So that's the evolution of me with Dawson's Creek, but uh, I digress. But Katie Holmes as I was saying, I would say she was probably an A minus uh, star because she's very popular on the teen circuit, but she's not a full blown movie star household name yet amongst everybody. And this was perfect for Tom because he wanted someone who had star power. That's what he didn't like about Sofia Vergara because she wasn't that big of a star yet. But he wanted someone with star power, but he wanted someone who was still moldable. And that was Katie Holmes. She was a star, but she wasn't that mega star yet. And Tom and his team, they're keeping an eye on the situation. And uh, they're waiting essentially for Katie and Chris Klein to break up. And it's publicly announced in March of 2005 that the engagement is off. And Tom is ready to slide in like risky business. So he calls Katie's team and he's like, hey, I want to arrange a meeting regarding a potential role in Mission Impossible 3. And trust me, there was no role. There was no role. There wasn't even a uh, training video. Um, This was just a, (laughs) a ploy to meet. And right off the bat, you know, it's electric. Like I said, Tom is very love bomby. And Katie, who's 27 at the time, she's so into it. Like, think about it. This is your celebrity crush since you were a kid. You're not only meeting, but he's like into you and he asks you out and clearly he's so smitten with you, which is fun. That kind of attention is fun just from an average person. But this is your celebrity crush, one of the biggest movie stars in the world. So she's excited. And she said immediately she knew that they should be together. I mean, my celebrity crush from a kid is Ben Affleck. And at 32 years old, well, I'm going to be 32 in a couple weeks. Like if I met him now, I would be, and he was single, I would be just like head over heels if he was into me. So I totally get this. But I mean, talk about a quick rebound because the engagement was with uh, Chris Klein was just called off. So I wonder what poor Chris Klein was thinking. Like his career's already pretty much at a stalemate and remained so. And now he loses Katie Holmes and she's already gallivanting a few weeks later with Tom Cruise. Could you imagine? So... This could really only be described as, like I said, a whirlwind romance because a week later, they're both in Rome together. Katie's on the red carpet on the back of Tom's motorcycle. Remember those iconic pictures of her on the back of the motorcycle on the red carpet? And she's like in that maroon leather jacket. It's like burned in my brain. But um, they're doing that and everyone is like, this has to be a publicity stunt because they're both coming out with movies all the time. He's coming out with War of the Worlds and she's coming out with Batman. Batman Begins because, you know, she was in the first Batman Begins, uh, first Christopher Nolan Batman, actually. 
for anyone who's keeping score at home. Um, but anyway, a few weeks later, uh, Tom makes it known that this is not just a stunt and they are in love. And he orchestrates arguably one of the biggest displays of affection in history. And that is him going on Oprah's show, professing his love for Katie and essentially going crazy. He's talking about this new romance. He's jumping up. He's high kicking. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. He's like punching the air. He's doing that with his fists. Like, yes. Like he's so excited. And Oprah's kind of like, okay. Like you could tell Oprah's kind of internally screaming, but she's obviously a star. So she's smiling. She's into it. He's moving. He's shaking. He springs up into action, hops onto the couch, starts jumping on the couch with his shoes on. That's probably when Oprah's like, not on the white couch. But Oprah's, you can tell she has a visceral reaction where she literally leans back. I'll post this obviously on the Diving Board Instagram, but she leans back like, what's this guy going to do? This is a loose cannon. But like I said, Oprah is a master. So she's still got that smile on her face. But he is insane. Jumping, screaming. He eventually brings Katie onto the stage. She also kind of looks like she's internally screaming because wouldn't you? But he's ear to ear smiling. I don't know what he was on. Maybe just the spirit of L. Ron Hubbard. I really don't know. But he was going insane. And this becomes a huge stunt because publicity stunt and fodder because everyone's like, what's up with Tom Cruise? He's going nuts. People are just like, he's he's just crazy. What What is this? And it's not the best look. And somebody who is pretty disturbed by the behavior is Leah Remini, our queen from King of Queens. And she, for decades, she grew up in the Church of Scientology. And she was a very high-ranking member of the church because you move up in levels through uh, Scientology when you've, one, done a lot of courses and, two, donated a lot of money to them. So she's a very high-ranking member of Scientology. And she sees this and she's disturbed. So she decides to make a report on this. And a report in Scientology is essentially, I didn't grow up Catholic, but I imagine it's very similar to um, confession because reports is you're talking to a high member of Scientology and you rat on yourself if you feel like you've made a transgression, but you also rat on other people. So for example, like say you and I went out and I'm there, you know, I love my rosé. I'm drinking the rosé from the bottle. I'm just getting blackout wasted. I'm making fun of L. Ron Hubbard, saying things about Xenu. And you're just like, wait, what, what are you doing? You would go the next day and make a report on me and say Jill was acting totally if we were in Scientology you would go out and make a report on me and say Jill was acting totally out of line and I need to make a report on this so Leah actually makes a report on Tom uh, jumping on the couch she's like why, why is he acting like this this is not how a Scientologist should act and I'm disturbed by this we're not supposed to act like this we're supposed to be more demure and Scientologists they kind of think honestly like they're above everyone they think they have all of the answers to life so they're just like this is not how somebody such a high-ranking member of the church should be behaving on national television which I understand but it totally backfires on Leah because again you're reporting an extremely high member of the church and basically she's greeted with well sorry you've never been in love before 
And Leah Remini's married with children and they're telling her, sorry, you've never been in love before and you don't understand the type of love that would want to make you spring up and jump on Oprah's couch with your shoes on. And that's what really triggers me, that the shoes were left on. So like I said, it completely backfires. Sorry, you've never been in love. Sorry, you can't understand. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been in love before and I've never wanted to jump on the couch. I... Is there something wrong with me? I don't know. But I, I can't relate to that either. But like I said, it backfires. And you could learn more about that story. Leah has a ton of content out about her journey through Scientology. It's fascinating. It's unsettling. And it's really, really powerful, which she's come out with. So definitely check that out because I would love to go further into it. But I got to focus on Tom and Katie or else I would keep you here for like six more hours. But um, anyway, um, after Leah reports that she has to deal with a lot. But by June, just about six weeks into the relationship, Katie begins converting officially from Catholicism to Scientology. And she's quoted in W Magazine in 2005 as saying, you know, it's really exciting. I just started auditing and I'm taking some courses and I really like it. I feel like it's really helping. And I want to get into that auditing because she's not an accountant. That's not the, it's a different kind of auditing. (laughs) It's not an audit from the IRS, but um, auditing in Scientology It's kind of, so Scientologists believe that you've lived all of these multiple lives. So you're in a current life, but you lived all of these multiple lives um, in the past. So when you're auditing, you're basically taking in account any like negative influences or behaviors that you have done in this current life as well as your past life and try to rid yourself of them and try to just become a higher being. So essentially you have to think of all of the transgressions you've done in your current life and then your life in like, I don't know, the medieval times. Like you have to think about all the bad things you did back then as well. So that's kind of what she's been doing. She says it's very helpful and uh, she's really going full force in Scientology. And that is music to Tom Cruise and David Miscavige's ears because days after Katie converts, about seven weeks since their first date, Tom Cruise takes her on his private jet to Paris, to the Eiffel Tower. And he doesn't get down on one knee, but he does give her a five carat yellow diamond and proposes. And Katie says, yes, Katie's so deep in the trenches because she's like, I've never been on a private plane before. I've never been on these dates before. I've never been on the back of a motorcycle. And here he is taking me on the back of a motorcycle in Malibu. Like she's so deep into this. So of course it was an easy yes. They're engaged. They're engaged in seven weeks. Could you imagine Chris Klein? What is he thinking about during all this? He's like, I just ended this relationship. And here she is engaged to Tom Cruise. I just, I couldn't imagine. 
But anyway, a week later after the proposal, uh, the infamous kind of Matt Lauer, Tom Cruise showdown happens. Remember this where Tom is laying into Brooke Shields because she comes out and tells her story about postpartum depression. And this was big in 2004, 2005, because a lot of people were not talking about postpartum depression. And for a long time, people were saying it didn't even exist. And Tom Cruise was one of those people, one of those great people who said that. And Brooke Shields also talks about how she was on antidepressants to treat her postpartum depression. And Tom Cruise is saying he's totally against this and saying she did the wrong thing. And it's just horrible. Obviously, we don't agree with that here on the Diving Board Podcast. But the Scientology, the Church of Scientology, they're very against psychiatry and they're very against any drugs used to treat any mental illness, depression, anxiety, anything. They're very, very against it. And this is also a reason why David Miscavige really did not like Nicole Kidman because her dad is a psychiatrist. So that was another kind of mark against Nicole Kidman because that's very, very anti-Scientology. And uh, yeah, but this does not sway Katie by any means. And she's still going full force with him. And I think a lot of people are like, how could Katie fall for this? Like, how could she be so full force with this guy? And I mean, I don't know. I could totally see how this could happen. I know plenty of people who, I mean, I don't want to use the word gullible, but they would definitely fall for this. They would fall for someone who's very confident and a slick talker and has a lot of conviction in what they're saying. Like, trust me, I know plenty of people like that. I'm related to a few people like that. And it's just, I mean, I'm able to read it because I think I'm a little kind of more street smart. I came of age in Chicago. I went to the school of hard knocks. So like I can kind of see that and kind of read it like a book. But a lot of people, they're a little more susceptible, especially when it's Tom Cruise and he's so into you and he's saying all this stuff. And you know, Scientologists as well, they're always telling you, like, we have the answers to life and it's our job to kind of tell other people about it. So when someone's speaking with such conviction, I guess some people are are going to believe this. So I don't I don't judge her on it at all. I mean, I, I understand it's it's easy when somebody's so confident and, and kind of slick and especially when they're a movie star. Um, but anyway, the whirlwind continues. It continues through the summer, the endless summer. And on um, October 6th, Tom Cat announces they are expecting a child. Again, what is Chris Klein thinking? But also, like, could you imagine meeting someone in April of this year? And in two months, you're going to announce a pregnancy with them. I don't know, like people move so quickly. I guess I move kind of slow. I, I do kind of tread lightly. I dated a guy once for six months and at the six month mark, he finally sat me down and he's like, can you call me your boyfriend? Because for six months, I just refer to him as, quote, the guy I'm seeing. <laughs> like He was like, can you call me your boyfriend finally? But like, I just could not imagine. Now I'm starting to doubt. Have I ever experienced a love like this? Because I've never wanted to jump on a couch. I couldn't imagine moving this fast in six months. Like, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Why is Tom Cruise sending me into an existential crisis? <sighs> um, anyway, he uh, they just move very, very fast. So she's pregnant. And in December, Tom uh, purchased his own sonogram because he wants to do 
ultrasounds at any time of the day, any time of the month that to monitor the growth of the baby. And the FDA comes out and they're like, uh, no, you can't be doing your own personal sonogram. So they kind of put the kibosh on that. But, uh, you know, we get through the winter and on April 18th, 2006, one year to the date of their first date, Tom and Katie gave birth to a baby girl wearing weighing seven pounds, seven ounces that they named Suri. I remember where I was when Suri Cruz was born because I've always been so into celebrity pop culture and even more so when I was in high school. Like I was on Perez Hilton every single day. I was just obsessed with this. And I remember I was going to a softball game. I was on the school bus. We were going to a softball game. And one girl on my team was like, Jill, Katie Holmes just had her baby. And I was so excited. And because it was a really fun time because we had some big celebrity babies being born. We had Suri Cruz. And then we know from the Brangelina episode that same year we had Shiloh Nouvelle so it was it was just an exciting time so I was super super excited about Surrey's entrance to the world my uh, 15 year old self but um, after uh, Surrey was born reports started coming out that Tom had actually had Katie do quote a silent birth and a silent birth is kind of popular in Scientology uh John Travolta's wife, Kelly Preston, had actually had a silent birth. And this was something that L. Ron Hubbard preached about. He preached about the idea of the silent birth as a way to shield newborns from supposedly harmful words heard during the traumatic birth process. I don't know about you, but do you remember anything that was said during your birth? Because I can't remember a damn thing. (laughs) Like, I uh, have no idea what was going on during my birth. And I feel like if you have any recollection of what happened during your birth, you are probably a prodigy and your mind should be studied because you're clearly some type of superhuman. So maybe you could just save us from all of this. I don't know. But I don't remember anything. So the science behind that might be dubious. But Tom, he immediately is like, I I didn't... um, and still a silent birth. Like Katie didn't have a silent birth. I mean, a silent birth, you cannot talk while you're giving birth. Like that's what a silent birth is. I've never given birth to a child, but I imagine you want to say words. And he's saying that didn't happen. But photos were taken outside of their mansion of large placards and signs being delivered, bearing instructions for the silent birth, saying, quote, be silent and make all physical movements slow and understandable. You better be understanding those movements or else. Okay. But Suri's born. She's born into the world and I guess born during the traumatic birthing process and I guess silent. So good for Suri. I don't know. Um, (laughs) And we don't know what Suri looks like. And this is also a time like we didn't know what Shiloh looked like and we wanted to see these babies. And on October 2006, Vanity Fair releases a cover of Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes, and their holding, beautiful baby Surrey Cruise. And it was a 22-page spread shot by Annie Leibovitz. And you know from the Brangelina episode, millions of dollars, I think people paid $4 million for the picture of Shiloh, but Vanity Fair paid nothing. And I researched and I can't understand, or I don't understand why they didn't pay anything. I don't know. Maybe they really wanted an Annie Leibovitz photo shoot because this was a huge selling issue for Vanity Fair, but they didn't pay anything for um, Shy, or excuse me, Surrey. 
but beautiful photo. Suri was so cute and I'll never get over it because she had such a nice head of hair. Perez Hilton calling her furry. I still have a problem with that. And speaking of hair, I commented on, (laughs) I commented on a TikTok video and it was when the Hills was getting rebooted with Misha Barton. I never watched that, but it was just a clip I saw on TikTok and she was confronting Perez Hilton and he had just gotten from somewhere. I don't know. I know they go to Turkey a lot for this to get hair plugs, a hair transplant. And you could tell he had just gotten done or gotten that done. And I commented, oh no, those hair plugs. And Perez Hilton actually responded to my comment. (laughs) He's like, I had just gotten them done. And I responded, I wouldn't have left the house. And we were going back and forth. But I think that was my revenge for calling Surrey furry. She had hair and she didn't have to go to Turkey to get it. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) stupid Perez Hilton. But she was so cute. Surrey is such a beautiful little baby. But in November, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes, they officially tie the knot in Italy. And this is a massive wedding. This is attended by so many celebrities. Jennifer Lopez is there. It's just a huge, massive wedding. And who else is there is Leah Remini. And this is another kind of story that Leah Remini talks about. And this is actually really important in Scientology. If you know anything about Scientology, this wedding, I mean, it's essentially like the royal wedding. This was huge. Like I said, Tom Cruise is kind of the honorary second in command. Massive, massive event. Anybody who's anybody in the Scientology world is there. And David Miscavige is there, but his wife, Shelley Miscavige, is not there. And this is raises some eyebrows because, like I said, it's like the royal wedding. It's kind of like, I mean, putting tell-all book aside. It's kind of like the royal wedding, like if Harry were to get married and Kate Middleton isn't there. Like, that's her brother-in-law. Why isn't she at the wedding? If she wasn't there, people would ask, well, where's Kate? And Leah Remini does that. She goes, where's Shelley? And everyone kind of scatters. Nobody really wants to answer that question. And she goes, well, where's Shelley? And finally, she asks a high-ranking member of Scientology where Shelley is. And basically, they say, you do not have the effing rank to be asking a question like that. Nobody will answer the question of where Shelley is. And this is in 2006. And Leah, basically, she's worried. Where Where is Shelley? Shelley was somebody who was David Miscavige's shadow. Anywhere David went, Shelley was by his side. And now the biggest event happening in Scientology, Shelley's not there. And nobody is talking about where she is. And this actually is what prompts Leah Remini to file a missing persons report on Shelley Miscavige. And Shelley Miscavige is still missing to this day. People say that in the past five years they've seen her, but there's no, nobody knows where she is. They think that maybe she's deep in the woods, that David Miscavige, that Shelley was possibly kind of going against the church or maybe asking too many questions and he shipped her off. Nobody knows where Shelly is, but it's worth noting that the Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes wedding 
is the first sign of suspicion about where Shelley Miscavige is. It's a really, really insane story. But they get married and um, they seem like a really happy couple. But Tom Cruise's public image is definitely tarnished. Not many people want him for movies. He's dropped from projects, understandably so, especially after Brooke Shields and People, he's a liability. He says all of these really quite offensive things and very ignorant things, and they just don't want him on their projects. So he's laying low. But over the years, who is becoming a rising star is our girl Suri, because she's becoming a little bit of a fashion icon as a toddler and a young child. Because remember those pictures of Surrey Cruz with those cute little dresses with the puffy sleeves and she'd have the Mary Janes and then she had that haircut, that Bob haircut that kind of looked like the little Debbie Snack Girl. Like she was so cute. I loved those pictures, just seeing her. And honestly, I kind of have a connection to those pictures, not in a weird like Chris Hansen way, okay, like to catch a predator. I have a pretty deep connection with them, and I'll tell you why. Because in 2019, or it could have been 2018, it was a few years ago, before COVID, um, anyway, uh, there was an app that was pretty popular that like everyone was doing. You know how like those apps will come out, like the old filter will come out and everyone does it for a week? This was an app that it actually came out um, that it was an app created by the Russians to like steal your pictures. (laughs) But we didn't know that at the time. Um, I certainly didn't and probably just didn't care anyway. Uh, Where you upload a picture, you take a picture of yourself through the app and then you upload it it analyzes the picture and it tells you your celebrity lookalike. And this database was like so many celebrities because my friends were doing it and they were getting like international celebrities. Like the database for these celebrities was really big. And there are people like I had never even heard of. So they were really um, accurate or like people would be like, oh, this is my celebrity doppelganger. And they really did look like them. Like it, you definitely saw a resemblance. So I was like, oh, I want to try. Like, who am I going to get? And, you know, I think I was 28, 29 at the time. And when you're in your late 20s, you want to get a celebrity you're going to feel good about and be like, oh, I look like her. Oh, that's a compliment. So I was all excited, even though my identity was going to be quickly stolen by the Russians. I uploaded, I took a picture to the app and I uploaded it and it's analyzing it and I get my results and my results come back that my celebrity doppelganger is Suri Cruz. And not, you know, obviously adult Suri Cruz. I think she was 12 at the time. When you're a 28-year-old woman, yeah, you want to be heard that you look younger, but you don't want to be compared to a 12-year-old. Um, and it wasn't even her 12-year-old pictures. It was those little pictures of the little Debbie Snack Girl with the with the Mary Janes. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was shook. I'm like, this is not what I was expecting. But then I'm looking at this picture and I'm like, she really could be my kid. We do look very, very similar. <laughs> If I ever were to have a daughter, she would probably look very similar to Suri Cruz. We look very much alike. But, you know, when I was a kid, I definitely wasn't that cute. I was wearing some kind of hand-me-downs. You know, it was the 90s. I was probably in, remember that Charlotte Hornets windbreaker that for some reason all of us had? I wore that a lot or some hand-me-downs my mom would get from her nurse friends. And so I definitely wasn't in a designer dress with Mary Jane's and I didn't have the little Debbie Bob haircut. I had a bowl haircut 
And I also had a widow's peak, so I didn't look like little Debbie. I resembled a young Eddie Munster instead. So <laughs> that's where our differences started, me and Surrey. But I, I will own it. She is my celebrity doppelganger. Surrey Cruz, just us against the world. I love her. I mean, she is adorable. I'll take it. But at the time, you know, you want someone. <laughs> you didn't you don't want a child, okay? But I'll own it. I'll own it. Like I said, I, I don't know if I'll ever try to have a kid. So she's kind of my my uh, daughter in my mind. But um anyway, I digress. But over the years, like I said, Surrey is definitely becoming a public profile. Tom is laying low. They actually say that he revives his career because remember he had that um, little part in Tropic Thunder where I think he's like the celebrity agent or he's he's in that kind of fat suit and the bald cap. And it was really, really funny. And people thought, oh, that's improving his public image, that he's funny in this movie and everything. And people liked him. But it really wasn't. I mean, he really wasn't in many films. This was coming from a major movie star and he really did take a big hiatus. And it's said during this time that Katie has really said, and like I said, this is alleged, it's said that Katie um, really did not want Tom to involve Surrey in the Church of Scientology. But there are rumblings that he has begun introducing Surrey to the church, and Katie really does not like this. And in 2010, Katie starts going to New York City a lot more for projects, and she's there very, very often. And it's said that This is when Katie started planning her escape from Tom Cruise. It's widely regarded as this is when she started getting her ducks in a row that she was going to leave because she started getting afraid for Surrey. She did not want Surrey in Scientology. And I think the people close to Katie started kind of saying to her, we're really concerned and we think you should get out because even uh, Katie's security, they were all Scientologists. Like this was... I mean, I know it's controversial to use this word, but it's very cult-like. You cannot have anyone in your life who isn't a Scientologist, even down to your security. They're in Scientology. And it's concerning. And I think Katie really just had that maternal instinct. And she's like, I, I need to get her out. And I need to get my ducks in a row. And this is a long process because it's not easy to divorce Tom Cruise. Because if you look at Nicole Kidman, there's pictures of her walking out of that final divorce hearing. And she's like g- looking at the heavens, like thanking the universe, God, whatever you believe in. Like she's so happy to just be over just to have this over she's it's like unbridled joy so clearly it's not easy to divorce Tom Cruise and it's worth noting that Connor and Isabella they chose Scientology over Nicole Kidman because Scientology and David Miscavige labeled Nicole Kidman as quote a suppressive person and that's the worst thing that you could be called in Scientology because they're basically saying you're a suppressive person to us. You're a dangerous person. You're trying to get us away from the church. We cannot speak to you if you're a suppressive person. So she doesn't really have a relationship with Connor and Isabella because they chose the church. So Katie knows I need to get my ducks in a row and I need to be smart about this. So starting in 2010, she starts going to New York City a lot. And Katie's father is an attorney. And you can tell Katie definitely had some really, really great legal counsel because he tells her over the next two years, I want you to go and get photographed 
when you can when you're in New York. And they have um, a apartment. Tom owns an apartment in New York City. So Katie, they're paying taxes on this apartment in New York City. And she's going there quite often. And he goes, get photographed. Get photographed when you're in the city. You know, in New York City, when you're there, you know where the paparazzi hang out. I Like, they're always um, in front of the Mercer Hotel, I've noticed. So sometimes, like, in New York City, I'll go to the Mercer Hotel just so I can see the paparazzi waiting out front and seeing who it is because... I don't know. I like to think I'm a part of something. <laughs> it just feeds my delusion. But like, you know, in New York City, where all the paparazzi are going to hang, like the usual haunts where they're at. So she would go to those places and she would just get her picture taken really quickly. And it would show that she was in New York City. And this will come in, I'll explain this in a couple of minutes, but she also was allegedly using some burner phones because she was afraid that she was being tracked. Like I said, her security were Scientologists. Everyone around were Scientologists. So she was communicating about this divorce plan with her dad and her legal counsel on these disposable cell phones. She didn't want anything to be tracked. So she's getting her ducks in a row. And in the summer of 2012, she officially files for divorce from Tom Cruise. And he's allegedly blindsided by this. But she says our relationship has been falling apart for a very, very long time. She says six months. Most people think it was a couple of years because she's been planning this. And why people think it's a couple of years is over the last two years, she has been establishing residency in New York City. So this is why she's been getting her photo taken because she wants to file for divorce in New York. But to do that, you have to prove residency. So in court, she's gonna bring these pictures and say, timestamp on this, timestamp on this, timestamp on this. Look, I live here. Over the last two years, Katie presented a case that she was photographed 30 times, 30 different times in New York. Clearly, she's there. Clearly, she lives there. And why she wants to get divorced in New York rather than California is because in New York, they're more likely to give a parent sole custody than they are in California. In California, unless it is extremely dangerous for a child to be with another parent, they're really going to fight for 50-50 custody. But in New York, it's more likely that a parent will get sole custody. And Katie wants sole custody of Surrey. So it's so brilliant. Like the counsel that she got, and it makes me sad for Nicole because I don't think Nicole got this type of counsel, but the legal advice that Katie got was so amazing. She, They said, establish the residency in New York City, and she did. And that's how she was able to file for divorce in New York City. And she was granted sole custody of Surrey. And it's interesting because this divorce was done in 11 days because they had an ironclad prenup. And you already know we are very, very big proponents for prenups here on the Diving Board Podcast. I know I have never been in love enough to jump on a couch or do all of this stuff, but I... But I've also never been in love enough to put my assets in a vulnerable position. Very big proponents of prenups. Anyway, um, maybe I've never been in love before. I don't know. I'm questioning everything. But anyway, um, they had an ironclad prenup. It's done in 11 days. And there are some very big stipulations that Tom has. Because Tom says, you cannot speak out about Scientology. 
if we're going to get divorced and this is going to happen, you cannot speak out about Scientology. You cannot say why we got divorced. And you cannot date anyone publicly for five years. You will not humiliate me by dating another person. It's not going to be another Chris Klein situation where, you know, you're dating somebody and engaged in seven weeks. You're not going to publicly date anyone for five years. And Katie, she was so devoted to Surrey that Katie has really not spoken publicly about this in in 10 years and over 10 years. And this is why I say a lot of this is alleged in other stories because Katie has never come out publicly and said it. She was brilliant. She just kind of kept by these rules because she wanted Tom out. She wanted to protect Suri. And it's really is an incredible story of just a mother trying to protect her child. And she really did play by the rules to get him out because Tom... Tom Cruise and the Church of Scientology, they're very powerful. If you watch anything with Leah Remini and leaving Scientology, it can be very, very scary. So Katie really, really did what she had to do to get out. And even with the no dating anyone for five years, you can tell Katie did not go public with anyone until pretty much exactly five years when she went public with Jamie Foxx in 2017. Like They're no longer together, but they had a really, really long-term relationship. And she did not go public with that until nearly exactly five years. Like She really played by the rules to make sure this was seamless and that she had Surrey. And it's interesting because... They say that the Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes divorce was Scientology's worst nightmare. I mean, it's really hard to come back from this, and especially a public image um, by Scientology, because it really kind of showed that Scientology was something that Katie Holmes needed to save her child from. Scientology was something that you needed to escape and needed to be saved from. So uh, there's interviews with Leah Remini. She's like, people who are in Scientology now, uh, they've been in it for years and years and years. There's very few new Scientologists. And I've read articles for the last few years that they think Scientology is kind of going extinct. And it'll be interesting in the next 30 years or so where Scientology stands um, because it really just has such a bad rap. And it really, really kind of started with this divorce because the whole narrative was she had to escape and nobody wants to join something that's you have to escape from. So this was a really, really bad mark for Scientology. And of course, not knowing where Shelley Miscavige is. And it's it all just uh, like, like we said, there's very few new Scientologists. People aren't running to join the religion. But damn, if you walk down Hollywood Boulevard, they're just shoving those flyers down your throat like they want you. But like I said, it's it's really um, going extinct. She, But Katie Holmes, like I said, it's so admirable. Just that motherly instinct kind of kicked in. And her and Suri have really lived their life in New York City. My celebrity doppelganger is just running around New York City, living her life being the icon that she is, and I live for it. And they really have had a really, really great life. But the unfortunate thing is, Tom has not had really any part of Surrey's life since the divorce because the Church of Scientology has labeled Katie Holmes and Surrey suppressive people. 
And, you know, here's the thing, like in life, I don't care what you believe in. Like if you want to believe in freaking Xenu and that you've lived all of these million lives and all this stuff, I don't care. As long as you're not outwardly hurting anybody, I don't care what you believe in. Like that's what makes the world go round. We all have the fundamental human right to believe in what we want to believe. But the Scientologists don't believe that. They think if you don't believe in Scientology or if you leave Scientology, you're a dangerous person and you're a suppressive person and I cannot have any relationship with you. And that has exactly that's exactly what happened with Tom and Surrey. He has missed every milestone in her life. She's applying to college. She's going through high school. They have no relationship. They have not spoken. And that's so, so sad, especially when your dad is still so famous. I mean, they said Maverick was his highest grossing film ever. So he's kind of reached another prime in his career. And you have absolutely no relationship. I can't imagine how hard that must be. But it is a blessing in disguise because, in my opinion, um, Scientologists don't come for me, but um, <laughs> it is a blessing in disguise that she's away from um, Tom because I really don't think he's a good influence or a good person. So um, I'm waiting for that white van to pull up any second now, but I really think it's very, very sad, but I really do think it's a blessing in disguise that she has Katie and some other positive influences in her life because I don't think she would get that from him. But uh, anyway, Suri, she's thriving. They said that she's applying to fashion school. She wants to go to fashion school in New York City. She's 17 years old now, which is mind boggling. Like, how did that happen 17 years ago? And she's grown up and she's just so cute. My celebrity doppelganger, my my would-be daughter. We just wish her so well here on the Diving Board Podcast. We wish Katie well, and they're just living their life in New York City, and I love it. It's kind of my dream life, and the only thing I get from it is that, you know, the app said I looked like her, so... (laughs) I live for them, though. I think they're great, and, you know, things happen, I think how they should have been. And I'm happy that they got out and I'm happy that they got out unscathed. But on that note, that kind of wraps it up. That kind of brings us to present day. And we'll see what happens with Surrey. We'll see what happens with Katie. And we're excited. And, um, you know, I guess Tom is just at the Celebrity Center doing whatever he's doing. I know there's a few tennis courts. Maybe he's hitting the ball back and forth. Who knows? Um, But... We're not going to go further about that on the Diving Board Podcast, but I just want to thank you all so much for listening. I hope this was very, very interesting. It kind of shed some new lights. And I don't know, you guys, where the hell is Shelly Miscavige? Like, where's Shelly? And I, like I said, I, I have to stop. I'm going to get caught. But anyway, I just, I hope wherever Shelly is, that's such a sad situation too. What in, it's just insane. It's insane to think about, but this is a story that um, needs to be told. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I would so appreciate if you rated me five stars, wherever you're listening to this, probably Spotify. I notice on the analytics, most people listen on Spotify. So if you could please rate me five stars. And um, also I would love if you follow 
followed me on the Diving Board Podcast. I'm starting to release more bonus content. I have a fun episode planned that I'm not going to promote right away on the uh, Instagram because there are is some content I want to put on the Instagram, so I'm going to promote it. But if you follow it's uh, if you follow the podcast, you're going to know about it before anyone else does. So please, if you're so inclined, follow me. And I also would love if you joined us over on the Diving Board Instagram. That is Diving Board Pod. And that, of course, is B-O-R-E-D. We would love to have you there. And I just want to say um, thank you all so much for the people who have followed and messaged me on the Diving Board Instagram and said nice things and just random people I've never met in my life. You guys send the nicest nicest messages that you're enjoying the podcast and what you love about it. And that brings me so much joy. And especially this last month where I'm just in bed, bed rotting and wanting to get better, like reading these messages truly it brings me so much joy and it really gets me through the day and I get so, so excited. I also get a little bit shy at first because I'm like, oh my gosh, people listen to this, but it makes me so happy and I'm sending it to my sister. I'm sending it to my friends. I'm showing my manager at work, like, look how nice these people are. So I just want to say thank you so much. That is so, so kind and truly means so, so much to me. So thank you all so much again. And I am so excited to be back in the swing of things. And I can't wait to to, uh, talk again. And I can't wait to dive again. But until then, take care, everyone.